0: This morning, we are going to talk about feasting on his presence. You know, sometimes I think we can use words inside of our church culture and feasting on his presence. And we don't actually know what we're talking about. You know? So I believe that this morning, he wants to... Give us some handles. For some of you, these handles will be brand new. It'll be your first pass through seeing any of this. And others, you'll be like, "Mm, mm, mm. it's been years, but whoo, that marked me. I've never been the same since I understood that. And it'll be, I pray, fresh to your ears this morning. In 1 Corinthians Paul is talking to, God bless these Corinthians. I mean, there's one reason to make the word of God, but there are some that you wish you didn't. And I'm just kind of thankful I wasn't living in Corinth in that day. Um, I mean, they got they got two letters and, and uh, got a lot of words from Paul. Uh, but they just, God bless them, they were really, really, really immature people. Um, I mean, many of them were 60 years old, 70, but in their hearts and in their understanding of God and how to practice it out. They were very, very immature. And this is what he says to them in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Don't you realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary and that the spirit of God makes his permanent home in you? So that meant something to them because they had a backdrop for what the sanctuary would look like. For us, it's this room, it's this space. If we grew up in church, it's you go into the sanctuary. Um, or maybe, maybe it's a spa you've been to. You know, a respite, a place of, of rest and relaxation the sanctuary. But what did this really mean for them? So to know that, we actually have to go back and, and revisit the Old Testament. What did that look like in the Old Covenant prior to Jesus? So let's take a moment and let's just, let's take uh, some visual There was a a tabernacle of Moses that God gave to Moses to build. It was portable. It was intended to be portable so that as they navigated through the wilderness and and finding themselves in the promised land that they could take this tabernacle with them. And it had very specific specifications. But there were uh, three main spaces. It was the outer courts and then there was the the holy place and the most holy. And only priests could go into that holy place place, that tent. And only the high priest for the nation of Israel could go into the most holy of holy places. Inside that tent, you would find um, lampstands called menorahs. You would find uh, the table of showbread. You would find the altar of incense. And right there behind the veil, you would find the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the place where it was known that the presence of God dwelled isn 't that an interesting thought that that 's where the presence of God dwelled. The whole earth can 't even contain him all. his largeness is so vast, and yet this was a consecrated and set apart space that they honored him and welcomed him, but it wasn 't accessible to everyone, only the high priest. so they, they go through generations and generations and, and King David comes onto the scene and uh, he takes over Jerusalem, and he wants to build a temple. And God said, yes, a temple will be built, but it will actually be through the hands of your son, King Solomon. And King Solomon built this temple. Now, it is a beautiful version of the tabernacle, that portable tabernacle. It was twice as large, and it's made up of stones and beautiful oh oh my goodness the the enormity and the the ornateness of this has been unmatched and so but you still have those main sections that were just like that of the tabernacle that Moses had that was given to him from the Lord the outer courts and and then moving into that holy place and into the holy of holies Well, as you may remember, the temple would be destroyed hundreds of years later. It would be rebuilt. Some of those seasoned saints of God who watched the rebuilding just wept because it just didn't look nearly as beautiful, that second temple. To this day, the Jewish people do not have a temple. It had been destroyed. That second one was destroyed. And they have been long-awaiting the day when they can rebuild the temple a third time and while that may sound really quite amazing the truth is is that as believers and followers of Jesus we've been taught something different about the temple and we're going to talk about that but before we do it's really important because God uses the backdrop of the temple to describe his own people And the only way that we can really value what God values and understand some of the nuances of what he's saying is if we go back and really revisit, well, then what was in the temple? Something that was in the temple that has really stood out to me over the last week and a half. I just kept hearing showbread, 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 showbread. I was like, Lord, I know just enough to be dangerous. (laughs) Have you ever been there before? You navigate a conversation, you're like, mm. and you're like, I gave you all the facts I had and they were all true. I'm quite certain they're not complete. What this morning is meant to do is to whet your appetite because the meat that is available to us in understanding, it would take you a long time to feast on that understanding. So I wanna invite you to have your appetite whetted, to have your curiosity peaked, to have that spark rekindled in you where you go, wait a minute, I remember learning. For some of you who have been to Israel, you've seen it come alive for you. And even then, as I've been someone who was there a year ago, almost to this day, a year ago, things are today coming alive to me. That even didn't when my feet were on the soil. That's the power of the active word of God. That's the power of his presence. So whatever this might do to help foster that, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do that. We're going to take our focus to the table of showbread. The table itself had had specifications as quite frankly, everything in the Bible does. Uh, Man, we love freedom. If we think that he's all about freedom and has nothing to do with structure, we do not even read the word of God. You cannot read it without seeing it. You, can, I mean, he is obsessed. Like truly, he's obsessed with it. Man, it must mean something to him. Let us be people who value what he values. And so on this table, you'll see loaves of bread. I'll go ahead and count them for you. That's six on one side and six on the other. That would be a total of 12. Anytime we see 12, it typically, usually always represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And if it's representing the 12 tribes of Israel, then it's representing all the people in each tribe, right? This is representing every person in the nation, that Hebrew nation, every single one of them. And so there's also a a picture there with wine. Oh, wait a minute. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? To the follower of Jesus. A communion table right here. Right there in the holy place. Oh, but wait a minute. Only priests could go into the holy place. High priests go into the most holy place. So what was so special about this bread? It's called face bread. Literally, the bread of face is its name. Sometimes they would refer to it as continual bread because it never molded. Every seven days... The priests would come and put bread on this table. And even it's signifying um, and symbolizing something so beautiful. It's the provision of God that they're, that they're honoring. And the provision of come, God comes because of the presence of God. It wasn't just God you provided. It's God you are the creator of the sun and the rain that gives nourishment to the soil. You're, you're the provider of the strength that it is, even takes to harvest what comes out of the soil. Your provider, your provider, your provider, because you're present. It would be referred to as the bread of presence. This bread never got molded, it never decayed. It was mysterious. No one's ever really known how that is other than to know that it's supernatural. Every seven days, a priest would come in, they would partake of the bread, and then they would replace. With the next seven days fresh bread. And even when they did it. They didn't go. Oh let's be efficient. Because I love efficiency. They would not do that. Because uh, they wouldn't take all the bread at one time. Leave the table empty. And at some point put bread back. No. They took a stack off. Always leaving. Bread on the table. Signifying the constant provision of God. And the constant presence of God. The people were never without this fresh bread. Again, only partaken by a priest on behalf of the people. Right there amidst the environment of altar of incense where the prayers rise up to God as a beautiful fragrance. And of course, it was the high priest who would make his progression through the outer courts, and the world around him, and, 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 and narrowing in into the holy place and passing through the veil to take that blood sacrifice to sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant on behalf of all the people. So, if you've been in Christ for any period of time or been around this kind of teaching, you've already got things going off in your head. Ooh, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. So I want us to keep reading and keep listening because uh, we are in a new covenant. And so what does this mean? When Paul was saying, don't you know, don't you, don't you realize you're the sanctuary that houses the presence of God. I just want your presence. We can Sometimes compartmentalize, can't we? And assume it's somewhere out there. And if we sing loud enough or if we're desperate enough, he will come. But that is not the truth for you who have said yes to Jesus. For you who have said yes to Jesus, you are what's called a living stone. Wait, what? A a living stone. And so Jesus now comes onto the scene and he knows a lot of things that people don't know and he drops things in all the time where it makes everybody do the wait, what? Huh? Can you imagine the curiosity that he's constantly peeking in people to want to know and discover more? This is what he said. God bless people I mean I can say that because I am one Um, He had just fed the 5,000 Do do y'all remember What he fed them with What did he feed them with Bread and fish Five loaves Two fishes I remember that because of a preschool song Otherwise I'd always get them mixed up So five loaves Two fishes 5,000 more than that but 5,000 Men that were counted And then when he fed them all After he prayed and, and, and He broke everything up and it just kept Multiplying just kept multiplying It kept Nourishing every single person that Ate it to the point where there was 12 baskets completely full Left over There's always enough For every tribe And every person In every tribe Always enough. Well, he leaves that place because he, I guess, in just in his nowhere, he knew that they're going to try to make me king. That's not the purpose. Their version of king is not the purpose for which I've come. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go up into the mountaintop. I'm going I'm to get away. That night, uh, he even walked on water in front of his disciples. And now we're at the next day. And this is what he says about himself regarding bread. Let's pick it up in John 6, verse 26. You know, there was a time that these were just cute at home and a little helpful. And now I've gotten to where I just, I don't know if I've used them so much that now my eyes need them or if my eyes really need them. And so I'm going to need to take communion so I can get healed. Let's keep going. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus replied because they came to him. They were looking for him. They found him. They said, teacher, how did you get here? And he said, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? Doesn't that sound familiar? Show bread, the bread of presence. I, the son of man, am ready to give you what matters most for God the father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? And Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. He may not be as sarcastic as I am when I'm reading this, so I just want to give that, I just want to put that on the table, on any one of these tables. Sorry, Lord. Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent, with a big smile on his face. And they replied, and this is the part that I'm like, gosh, I'd, I'd slap you, but you know, I, I'd, I'd be slapping myself. Sorry, Chris. Show us a miracle so we can see it. And then we'll believe in you. Because the one from 18 hours ago just doesn't seem to be cutting it. Moses took care of our ancestors, they continue to say, who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert. Just like the scriptures say. Don't you love it when you use scripture against Jesus? He fed them with bread from heaven. So um, what sign will you perform for us? And I love Jesus because he's not me. All my words would have sounded really different than his. The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one. Okay, who's the, who's the bread? The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Hmm. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day. Now they're catching on. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty. Think about that communion table. That table of show bread with bread prepared fresh that never spoiled it, never molded it, never staled. And sitting in between it was the wine. Believe in me and you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. Come to me every day. We continue to pick it up in verse 47. He said, I speak to you living truth. Everybody say living. Living. Unite your heart to me and believe and you will experience eternal life. I am the true bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died. But standing here before you is the true bread that comes out of heaven. And when you eat this bread, you will never die. I alone am this living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I will offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. Essentially, he is saying, eat and live. Of course, they knew they were alive right then. But a spiritual call he was making to them, eat and live forever. Because one day your, your body is going to fail you and you will die on this side of heaven. But your spirit man can live forever. Eat right now of me. It would be one of the most offensive things he would ever say is eat my flesh, drink my blood. But he's saying eat and live. Sometimes it's really important When we're having reality moments and objective understanding to also hear something that he's saying. Because the option is to eat. And the benefit is to live. So if the option is to eat, that means I have another one on the table. And it means I don't have to. And there will be a consequence to not eating of the bread of Jesus. And that's death. So... I want us to keep going because if you've said yes to Jesus, you may go, yes, I ate the bread. I will live forever. Let's keep reading, which is true. Let's keep reading. We're going um, to go straight to Ephesians. Ephesians two eleven through 21. This is being read out of the Passion Translation just because some of this can sound really familiar to our ears otherwise. And I, I just, no pun intended on the freshness, but I do want it to be fresh to our ears too. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews. Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. These were people who loved God, by the way. But they were Gentiles. Like most of us in the room. We may have a Jewish brother or sister in the room. But most of us are Gentiles. We're not Jewish. So he's saying this to us. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews. And were uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws you are foreigners to israel's incredible heritage you are without the covenants and prophetic promises of the messiah the promised hope and without god yet look at you now everything is new although you were once distant and far away from god now you've been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of jesus you've actually been united to christ we're going to keep reading and pick it up In verse 19, so you're not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the holy ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building, this temple that's being built up, is under construction. What an amazing thought! It's still today being constructed and is, praise God, continually growing. Under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies. His dwelling place. And how is he doing that? He's doing that through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. and then to think sometimes that Holy Spirit is forgotten. Yet he's the one who is the life and the power in this sanctuary. I'm going to watch our time. We're going to move on to first Peter two. So what does that mean? If, if. I'm a living stone and I'm part, I just want you to take a moment, look at somebody next to you. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that most of you in the room have said yes to Jesus. And if, if you are, it's, you're a living stone. I mean, I see your flesh suit and you look cute, but I'm just saying you're a living stone. Some, some over here, brush your hair, but, but everybody looks really cute. Living stone. If I went out there and I picked up a stone, would it have a heartbeat out there on the ground? Say the word living. Living. You're a living stone. First Peter. Chapter two. He says, so abandon every form of evil, deceit, hypocrisy, feelings of jealousy and slander. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life, especially now that you've had a taste of the goodness of the Lord Jehovah and have experienced his kindness. So keep coming to him who is the living stone. So he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight. Come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. For now. For now you serve as holy priests. Remember at that table of showbread. Stack of six here, stack of six here, wine in between, but who could go in there? Only those who had been born into the priestly line. As a living stone, he's now calling you a holy priest. No wonder Paul is asking the Corinthians, don't you know that you're a sanctuary? That you house the presence of God, the spirit of the living God? come and be as living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God for now you serve as holy priests offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ verse 9 you are God's chosen treasure priests who are kings a spiritual nation there's no Jew and there's no Non-Jew, we've been, those who have said yes to Jesus, regardless of their background, came unified in him. We're we're a a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. And he did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Let's just also remind ourselves they didn't know the world like we do. They didn't they didn't know what existed and what was possible in the world like we do in 2020. This should really mean something to us. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. Whew. You know, we don't have to offer sacrifice for our sin anymore, but let's not deceive ourselves. We are living sacrifices. A pure living sacrifice. And you know what really stinks about that? Is that I'm still human. You know what's really wonderful about that? The whole book of Hebrews tells me who Jesus is as the high priest. Jesus as the high priest did not go into an actual temple. See, that's just a... That was just an earthly expression of what was existing in a heavenly realm. He went into the holy of holies in the presence of God and put his own blood on the mercy seat for you and for me. So he is our high priest, but he's not someone who doesn't understand what it's like to be us. Hebrews 4 tells us that he sympathizes with us. He understands our frailty. He understands every time we come to a communion table, we're not necessarily coming out of our own accord and our lack of sin. He's saying it's already paid for. It's already paid for. But any message that will ever tell you. So now you're good. Self-denial will be something that you do every moment of every day. It is called the way of the disciple. I'm going to. Read this, April, Luke nine twenty three through 26. Jesus said to all of his followers, and we know this, guys, but in context, let's just let it be fresh to our ears. If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will embark on a discovery of more and more true life. But there are choices on the table. And if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. Even if you gained all the wealth and power of this world, everything it could offer you, yet lost your soul in the process. What good is that? So why then are you ashamed of being my disciple? Are you ashamed of the revelation truth I give to you? Living off of Jesus and feasting on his presence means that he's my only option and I no longer am the option to feast on. It means my agenda is no longer the thing that drives me. It means my opinions are not the only thing that drives me. It means my desire for promotion. Can't drive me. Or else we will be people. Who are false worshipers. And so we only want his presence. And it's nothing but lip service. I don't know what practically that means for you. And for us. and my Great desire to be practical. I have really have seen him concealed that. And I think because it actually has to be personal. Jesus is the word of God. We cannot feast on his presence without feasting, taking in, consuming the word of God. So I don't know what practically that looks like in your life, but if that's non-existent in your life, then we're choosing to enjoy his presence here, get a really good meal, and then go hungry for six days. And that's not what he's invited his living stones to do. Living means that you're not in a coma. Okay, when he's talking about living, he's talking about abundance. He's not talking about barely hanging on or having external things keep you alive. He's talking about what is going on in the inside of you. You want to know why these moments are powerful and like it's boom, combustible? It's because there's so much agreement in the room. Can I sing when I'm so tempted for my mouth to say something that it doesn't need to say, am I feasting on the bread of Jesus in that moment when nobody's looking? It's easy to worship in here. I talked to a girl who doesn't know Jesus two years ago. I said, why do you keep coming? She goes, I just feel peace when I'm here. I said, don't you want that every day? And of course she did, but she walked away not choosing it. Because she couldn't give up herself. It would change everything about her life. That's the promise, that's the hope.